Good, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, the topic of this panel is long time is meeting. My name is Penny C and I'm from um, a little town outside of Boston called Hanson. I came to OA in, um, on June 10th, 1987. And by the grace of God and only by the grace of God, I became abstinent the next day or that night actually. And um, I'll, I'm just incredibly um, grateful and um, it's a miracle, it really is. I'm a real compulsive overeater. Um, when I came to OA, someone years later described me as a basket case. Uh, I was born, I was born a compulsive overeater and I just, if you could see this, this is the proof. I came across this picture of myself when I was only two months old. Can, I hope you can see that. <laughs> and today, anybody that had a baby like that, that size, would probably be accused of, of child abuse. But my parents were born um, before, before the, well, during the Second World War, before the First World War. And they went through the, the two wars, the Depression. And so to have a fat baby was a sign that they were doing well. So um, I was a fat kid, fat, a fat child, a fat teenager. Um, I lived with three sisters who were all thin and the boys were all very interested in them. And, um, you know, and I felt like I was invisible with them. I, in my senior year in high school, I went to get, uh, have an interview with the director of the School of Nursing where I had applied. And she told me that I had all the requirements. I had good grades, I had good references. And when I went to leave, as I was opening the door to leave, she came over and said, but now Miss Whalen, before you dock, dock at the doors of this institution in September, you will have lost 50 pounds. That was January. And um, I was going to be going there in September. Well, nobody told me how to lose weight. Nobody told me. So I just decided that the only way I knew people lost weight because I have a friend whose mother had cancer and she couldn't eat and she lost weight. So I stopped eating. So I could say that for a period of time, I was also anorexic. Um, I... Um, tried everything, including uh, Weight Watchers. I was a Weight Watcher, not to put that program down. I think it's wonderful if people are successful there, but I don't think it's for a real compulsive reader who has the, the phenomenon of craving and the obsession of the mind like I realized I did. And I became a lecturer and I realized, I, I, now I realize, I think I found, I thought I found the solution to my weight problem. That was to starve for two weeks before we got weighed in, which we had to do at a monthly meeting if we worked for Weight Watchers. I would starve for the two weeks. I always got the prize. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't read. Oh, can I, I'm gonna start again, all right? Is that all right? Okay, uh, the session will be in interpreted simultaneously into French. 
If you require interpretation, please check on the interpretation symbol and choose French. Let's open with the serenity prayer. I'm so sorry. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. The panel format is three speakers for 15 minutes each. Um, the other two speakers are Judy and Madge. The audio of this session is being recorded and you will not be edited. Please note the session will be available online as a podcast feed. Feed. Anyone wishing to remain anonymous should use a fictitious name. If you share, you have given consent to be recorded. Please do not share if you do not want to be recorded. As you have noted, webinar is view only. Attendees are automatically muted. Attendees are not visible to each other or to the people on the panel. Only the panelists are visible. Please use the Q&A function to ask questions of the panelists Use chat for supportive comments. We ask that you keep what you see and hear confidential and that there be no recording or screen captures. Please respect anonymity of all who attend. Our traditions state that OA has no opinion on outside issues. Some samples of outside issues are politics, religion, diets, treatment programs, non-OA approved literature and other 12-step fellowships. Therefore, please base your sharing on your OA experience and do not include outside issues. Okay, so um, I'm gonna go back to my story and, and see if we can keep this, keep this going now. Um, so I'm gonna go right to how I found OA. Uh, I had been just going through a really difficult divorce and for a year and a half at least, maybe two years, I ate my way through that because that's what I was, a compulsive overeater. I never, even after I lost a lot of weight to go into nursing school, it came back on. Even if I lost a lot of weight after Weight Watchers, it came right back on because I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was a, I'm was, a nurse. I took care of people with all kinds of illness, but nobody ever told me I had a disease. And so I happened to be in a church one night at a, at a group for single again adults. And I was still eating, eating my way through life continuously. So I happened to pick up the parish bulletin and before the meeting, it was not my church. And I saw that there was an OA meeting there on Wednesday night. So I, all I knew about OA was that somehow it was fashioned after AA and that it didn't cost anything because at that time I was hard pressed to put 50 cents in the basket. I had no money and I still, I had four children, one in college and the others at home that needed to be supported. I had no job that was, I was having to look for a full-time job. So I had four part-time jobs before that. So um, I went to my first meeting and that it was miraculous. The very first meeting, I've already said I became abstinent. And what they told me just stunned me and, and made it was like a big weight off my shoulders. I heard a woman say, this disease of mine, and that hit me. I have a disease. Nobody ever told me that. No doctor, no, no parent, no teacher, nobody. 
well, people didn't hear much. It was before OA had even begun. And so, uh, oh no, the meeting wasn't, but my nursing school experience was. And so uh, the other thing I heard and I kept hearing at meetings was recovery is in the steps and that the solution is spiritual. And then they said the serenity prayer. And I, I had heard the serenity prayer. In fact, I wear a medal around my neck that was given to me by a class I taught. Penny, Penny excuse me, it's Wu, I'm the host. We need to do a sound check on Natalie because people can't hear her correctly. Okay. okay. Just a moment. All right, Natalie, um, I'm going to take you out and then I'm going to put you back in again, I guess. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, we're getting a report on the problem is that it's not, the sound is okay. They, we just didn't understand the times when Natalie's not interpreting. Okay. I think we're good. All right. Can somebody in the- Yes, your sound is good. You're okay. Go okay. Penny, go ahead. Sorry for the interruption, hon. Okay. So on the way home from that very first meeting where I'm sure it was a spiritual awakening that I had, I decided I was going to write myself a food plan because I worked with diabetic um, patients and I knew basically what a food, what their food plan was. And so that's what I, what I did. And it's been the same food plan that I've had checked out with nutritionists. It's been tweaked. And I knew enough that I had to, I had to eliminate the foods that I binged on. And I did that. I want to jump over to, and I've been abstinent ever since, got into the steps uh, very quickly and have been actually um, for 11 years now, at least 11 years, I've been calling into a no way meeting on the phone that we, we read the big book right up to page 164 again and again and comment paragraph by paragraph. And I think that's what's really caused me to remain one of the things that caused me to remain abstinent. Um, I like the term long timers instead of old timers. You know, <laughs> I was born the year the big book was published. So you can do the math and know that, you know, when I say I'm happy to be here, I guess at my age, you're happy to be anywhere. So um, the question I'm asked very often is, how do you maintain, how have you maintained abstinence? How have you maintained recovery? And I call myself recovered because the big book tells me that the first 100 after um, working the, they were at, actually working the Oxford group steps, um, they recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And that's where I think I find, I know I find myself today, not, not hopeless in mind or body. And so what keeps me from getting back into the food? Um, trust in God is in, in, in having a, a God of my own conception. The We agnostics, I thought I didn't need to read that because I'm not agnostic or atheist. But when we got into it and read it paragraph by paragraph, 
I realized that I was very narrow-minded when it came to anything, anything religious or spiritual. And today I am, one of the greatest gifts is that I have become open-minded, that higher power can be whatever anybody wants that higher power to be. And that's all that's required, that we have a higher power, we realize we're powerless, and we tap into the power of our, of our God, I call my higher power. The other thing is definitely working with others. That's the biggest thing, I think. Because every time I go through the steps with someone else, I'm doing them all over myself. Doing service like this or, you know, taking phone calls or calling people who ask for, for help is just, just amazing. Uh, I just want to refer to um, a page in the big book that says, um, if we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor no lurking notion that someday we'll be immune to alcohol. I'm not immune to compulsive overeating or compulsive food behaviors. And I need to realize that. When people call me and they're in relapse, I, I learn from what they, other people's relapse, so I don't have to repeat their mistakes again. But what I, I know when I tell them is that they either forgot or they went into denial about their powerlessness because I need to every single morning tell my higher power that I am powerless over food and that I need his help. And that's, that's a big thing for keeping me um, abstinent. Um, and and doing, doing service with Zoom now, um, I've been doing, doing or attending meetings and doing service all over the world. Yesterday, I was qualifying on a almost two hour uh, meeting in Italy and I was translated. And I left, I had to leave that meeting five minutes early to go to Melbourne, Australia to lead a meeting. Um, I've had to decide which meetings are going to be the most important because balance is important too. And as someone has suggested to me that all the time I'm on meetings, I'm taking away when I overdo it, I'm taking away from outreach calls that I could be making because it's my responsibility, always pledge says, thank you, always pledge says, always to extend the hand and heart of OA to all who share my compulsion. For them, I, that I am responsible. And because I've been giving this, given this gift of recovery and longtime abstinence, I have such a, a huge, I feel, huge responsibility to first of all, stay in recovery myself. I think that's the biggest service I can do for anybody is to continue to stay close to my higher power, to stay abstinent and, and just be able to be a, a, an example, you know, a, um, promotion. We don't do promotion. Um, we, we, we let people see that we practice the program. Also in my attitude, uh, I was on a meeting, I'm also in another program, I was on a meeting recently where someone came on and said the, the trustees, she was qualifying, said the trustees in this program were paid. And I knew that wasn't true. 
And so when the meeting was all over and there was a, a time for Q&A, I just said, did I hear right? And it were, I mean, I never would have done that before OA. I would probably would have just, you know, burst in and said, that's not right. Instead, I mentioned that the woman who had said it came on and said, thank you very much. I made a mistake. And it was just a perfect example of how the 12 steps and 12 traditions work in our lives. So I just want to say to anybody who might be out there struggling, who's new to OA, um, one of my goals is to bring hope whenever I share. Uh, I want to be honest and humble. Um, I want everyone to know that my life is 100%. The transformation is 100% from what it was to what I am now. I was a yeller and screamer. I, I, I was resentful. Um, Self-pity ran me. I, I, I even used to yell that I had a right to feel sorry for myself. And today I can't imagine why anybody would want, want to be into self-pity. And so newcomers and people in, in relapse um, keep coming back. Just work those steps, work them. I've heard people say, work them like your hair's on fire. No, I say, work them like your life depends on it because it does. And I'm going to pass with that. Okay, the next speaker then is Judy. Judy? Hi, my name is Judy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you for that share. And um, I'm really honored to be here. Um, in program 40 years will be, December 15th will be 40 years. Um, I came in, I started in Manhattan um, and I've never left. And I've been asked many times, or I, I think like, how come I never left? I hear many people leave, come back. And um, the only thing I could say is, uh, you know, I hit such a low bottom and it wasn't a weight bottom. It was, I was about 30 pounds overweight, but it was emotional bottom, you know, and spiritual bottom that I hit that um, I think I was always afraid to go back to that space. And uh, this was the first program that I ever found that was like tailor-made for me. I never dabbled in drugs and this was a legal substance. And I didn't look at it that way until I started spooning Nestle's quick powder in my mouth. And in those days, 40 years ago, that meant heroin. And I just equated the whole the two things together. And it just clicked in my head that there's some connection there. And um, then I heard about AA. I 100% trusted AA. I had very, um, I looked up to AA like anything. So when I realized there's a connection between OA and AA, I went to first meeting. And um, you know, after a couple of meetings, you know, I, I was sure it wasn't a cult. You know, I was not going to join a cult. And um, Here, um, I would have had a request for you to go a little bit slower, my friend. A little space between sentences will help a lot. Yes. Thank you. So I went to a couple of meetings before I realized, when, before I was sure that it was not a cult. And that was very important to me. Um, I, am, I am an immigrant. And um, I came to America not speaking English as a fifth grader. And they put me in parochial school. And they started me again in first grade. So you can imagine what that does to you emotionally. It was crazy. And they skipped me every year. Like I did two grades a year. I totally skipped sixth grade. I mean, my education elementary school was crazy. 
thus I became an elementary school teacher. <laughs> and I figured out all the things that I never learned in all those skipping. And I came into program at 24 and a half, thank God. You know, I came in early. I was able to remake my life. I had had a very short marriage. I was able to, I got married in this program. I have two children from this program. I just finished a 32 year career that because of this program, which would have never happened. It's a very stressful career. And I just retired three months ago and um, I'm spending my time a lot of my time trying to give back to OA because when I was working like a maniac, I went to meetings, I did service at my meeting level, but I could never go to, I mean, sometimes I couldn't go to a convention because I would have to work, bring so much work with me that it would have been crazy to even go. And um, I feel right now that um, OA was always there for me, those Saturday meetings that I could not lead, but other people were leading. So I am doing service and, um, you know, I, I do have to do it in moderation. I've heard other people talk about, be careful with service that you don't overdo it either. Um, some of my food history was uh, off the wall, like eating peanut butter in a brown bag on the subway and then someone following me off the subway and asking me and telling me that if they had done that, they would have gotten sick. And I looked at them like, I didn't get sick, you know, I can eat a jar of peanut butter on a subway. Um, going into a, a supermarket with a check because I couldn't have money on me and trying to buy an eight ounce chocolate bar with a check standing online and being told, no, you can't use a check to buy an eight, eight ounce chocolate bar. Um, what, what else was there? And um, also eating, you know, one bar of candy for breakfast, two for lunch, three for dinner, and then not eating anything but lettuce for three days. So everything was, it was a reflection of my life. My life was totally, I don't function without this program, I'll put it that way. Um, what I do, how I stayed in this program all these years is the last thing I'll talk about. But um, things that are important to me in these 40 years that I've really, really kept and it's part of me, um, I do weigh a measure. I stopped sugar about, I would say, 12 years ago. I had to stop sugar and I don't do that. Um, I've internalized a lot of the readings. I don't, but I don't let um, anything become rote. Like you, you can't ask me what page something is on because I don't want to memorize it. Once I, once I start memorizing, it becomes rote and then I don't want to do it anymore. And um, I've learned not to gossip in this program. So you'll see me walk away when I hear gossip. And, um, you know, you could imagine at work what that looks like. And I don't give a hoot because I've been trained in this program to walk away from gossip. Um, <clears throat> I've learned to chew my food, put down the fork in between bites. Um, burnout is very important. You know, when you're in 40 years, you can burn out. I have to be very careful. If I only keep reading one book, like the big book every single day, I will either memorize it or after <laughs> all these years. So I have to be very careful with burnout. Um, I took a break right now from sponsoring because I was doing it, I had a sponsor for 15 years. And now that I retired, I don't get up early in the morning anymore. So I don't wanna call her at seven in the morning. And that's okay because whenever something like that happens to me, I just double up on another tool. If I 
somehow start rebelling against writing, I will double up on my reading. So right now I'm just doubling up on service. And um, again, a lot of, you know, after all these years, a lot of this stuff hopefully becomes internalized. This was pointed out to me very early on in the program. I had a friend who was a social worker and he would see me like running around with my, you know, little uh, just for today booklet everywhere. And he said, you know, you're supposed to internalize that stuff. So of course I also have to read it, but a lot of it, you know, just becomes part of you after 40 years. And um, since Zoom, I've been trying to do three meetings a week. When I was working, it was one meeting a week, and I cherished that. And, you know, I, I try to make sure that it's one big book meeting, one beginner meeting, and one step meeting so that I cover everything. Because if I just go to beginner meetings, I will burn out again, and uh, I won't pay attention. So I need that variety just to keep my program fresh. Um, I don't leave because... <laughs> I guess I'm afraid to leave, but I don't want to dig for a lower bottom. I, I've learned that here. You can keep digging. Um, I see program everywhere around me. I, I Because of this program, I have the clarity to join other organizations and starting to do service there. And I hear, when I hear something healthy, you know, it's all program, you know, and I know I can tell, um, I pick up program anywhere. Um, and um, it makes me feel better emotionally. It's helping me physically. I started exercising on Zoom like three times a week now. It's because I, I've been taught and programmed how healthy that is. Um, I've learned not to analyze, but utilize. Because if I start analyzing why, you know, I'm writing, then I'm not going to write. You know, I just have to blind, have, have blind faith that writing is good for me. And then of course the world tells you that writing is good for you, which I love. Um, I also stay because it's a disease of amnesia. So how else am I gonna remember if I'm not here? Um, I've learned that it's a disease and I have to know that. I believe that 100% is a disease means being ill at ease with yourself. Um, if I leave, I might forget that I'm different than other people. Many, many times, if I'm in a group, I have to be very careful just to step back and say, I can't do what they're doing, you know, as far as eating stuff. Like people will joke around about eating cupcakes. Well, I can't do that. So I'm different. That's very important to me. Um, I have to be reminded not to compare my insides to other people's outsides. Great way to be reminded is to stay in program. You're gonna hear it. Uh, again, disease of denial. <clears throat> um, it helps with fear of economic insecurity that you know comes up. Other reasons that I stayed for 40 years. Let's see, the fellowship, the friends, and that you can help people here. You know, one of the things, even in retirement, they say, you know, do service. It's very important. I've been able to do that all these years in program and um, there are lots of people you can help them program. You could be doing this all day, get sponsees and, you know, do a lot for them. And, um, you know, isolation is a big part of this disease and, um, you know, what are you going to do? Leave program. And then, you know, I do have other friends and then 
I, I'll hang out with them. And then I go on an OA meeting. I say, oh my God, like the level of talk at an OA meeting is so different. Judy, and, yeah. thank you. I've always been a deep thinker and I never had a place to channel it. And it's so incredible. Just, you know, if I don't go to a meeting, you know, for a week and I'm out with civilians and then I come back here, I say, wow, this is like, it feeds my soul. And I have no idea if there are newcomers. I just want to say the first time when I was new in program and I met a AA or who had been in program 30 years, I said, oh my God, like 30 years. And um, you know, it's like asking somebody, how, do you, how did you get to be 60 years old? You know, it's just one day at a time and you can do it. And, um, you know, there are many people who leave and come back, you know, but uh, it's not guaranteed, they say. And um, I haven't, uh, it's still a day at a time. I have to work on, like I said, I, I, I have a rebellious streak. I think a lot of addicts have that. So I'm very careful not to overdo one tool. If, I, if I'm resistant, I'll just go to another tool and just keep my program fresh. And um, I think conventions help with that too. You uh, meet so many new people. And um, I don't know if there was anything else that I could say. Um, I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. And the next speaker is Madge. Madge, dear, unmute yourself. There you go. Okay. okay. You, are you able to turn your camera on so we can see your face? Um, just give me a second, please. I'll... All right. It's your choice, my friend. Um, wow. Okay. Can you see me now? No, you can't. Not see me. quite yet. No. It's not. Can you can you put me on video? I, I'm not able to do it. Oh, Where okay. You there you there are. I am. There, there you I am. are. Good thank job. You. Go sorry. Right ahead. Sorry for the delay. Uh, thank you all who uh, are putting this together and are doing an amazing job uh, to create this venue and this opportunity for us to all and be in fellowship. Uh, I'm so grateful to be here. My name is Madge and I am a compulsive reader. I am from uh, Westchester, New York. And uh, okay, thank you. Uh, a little nervous, <clears throat> but I uh, have been in program since uh, 1974. I came in at uh, 21 years old and I looked around and I said, oh my God, these people are so old and they're all they're all like they, they've been married and have kids. And that's this, that's what this um, uh, disease is about. People who are older and have kids and then they get fat and I don't belong here. Um, but I couldn't not come back. There was something in the rooms I had never experienced in my life. Uh, the honesty, the um, camaraderie, the fellowship and the love. I had never felt that. I mean, I had a normal upbringing, but it was a very judgmental upbringing. There was like almost nothing I can do that was right. And being fat was certainly not right. Um, so out of all six of us children, I was the fattest uh, and it really did make me feel like I didn't belong for a variety of reasons. So when I found a way at 21, um, I did not know I was gonna be a lifer. I remember thinking, I just want to get into this 
bridesmaid's dress for my sister's wedding, and then I'm out of here. Well, that wedding um, never uh, happened. She ended up marrying somebody else. But um, that's what got me there, getting into a bridesmaid's dress. And I did not have initial success. I didn't understand when people said, we're like AA. I go, oh, you got to be kidding. I didn't want to be compared or what I did with food. I didn't want it to be compared to what people did with uh, alcohol. I was repulsed by it and I didn't want any kind of uh, connection. But as time went on, I began to see there was no difference between what I did with food and what people did with uh, other substances like alcohol, like drugs. And when I saw that, I said, oh my God, I'm an addict. And that meant I could not stop. And um, it took a while. I, I kept coming back. I never missed a week. Uh, I've been in since uh, for 43 years now, never missed a week, but just felt, why am I coming? I'm not getting it. And at that time, there wasn't a whole lot of abstinence to get. If a person had six months, you, you, you trailed them around like they were a saint because you just couldn't believe it. I couldn't get a week. And I was one of those fortunate people to have gone through what I call despair. Um, and I say fortunate because that was when I surrendered. As long as I thought I had some control over it, um, then I couldn't surrender. And, this, and the surrender is really what brings uh, the avalanche of power from another source. And for me, that other source um, was God. And I was also fortunate, I think God took pity on me because I was flailing around trying to get make something happen. And I had an out-of-body experience where I really met my higher power. And among other things, to keep it really, really short, I said to him, I can't stop eating. And he goes to me, you don't have to do that anymore. I said, well, I don't, I've been doing it all my life. I don't know what else to do to deal with life. And he says, come to me with all things great and small. And for 38 years, I've been coming to him with all things great and small. And I do that in a variety of ways. I start my day uh, with prayer and meditation. But I'm a very simple kind of person. If it gets complicated, I'm not going to continue it. And I put all my requests in. I get my stuff out. Uh, I spend some quiet time. And I really ask God to direct my thoughts, my words, and my actions. And to help me deal with whatever the day is going to bring. And throughout the day, I touch base. It could be through writing. It could be through uh, taking a ride on a highway just to, you know, just not to think about everyday stuff. It could be putting things in my God box. There's a variety of ways that I use to connect um, the conscious contact. And I am so really, really grateful because in 38 years, I didn't want to binge. It was sort of like, well, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to do that? Because I got it that I don't have to do life alone. Um, and of course the fellowship is an extension for me of an amazing, amazing higher power that takes care of my needs. And I thought, well, if I knew what was so good for me, you know, I mean, I didn't want to do away for, I mean, I would come and I don't, I didn't want to be there. So 
do I really know what's good for me? I really don't know what's good for me. And as many have said, um, this is my home. In fact, when you know we would write things about how you're feeling in the We Care book, I'd always, people would say, I'm feeling this and I'm feeling that. And I would just say, I'm home. That said everything, I'm home. I'm home in a good home where if I act out, you don't shame me. And if I'm confused, you don't criticize me. And if I'm doing the, you know, if I'm not catching up, you just give me encouragement. So in many ways, it's the home I've always wanted. So that's a good thing. And um, lots of things happen in 43 years. Um, and I used to tell people, I used to, I used to binge over a bad haircut, but I've been able to uh, sustain and maintain and get through a whole bunch of stuff that if you live long enough, stuff is going to happen. And, but it's been uh, an amazing journey. It continues to be an amazing journey. People talked about how it can get stale. Um, and that's, that's true. But I think what keeps it alive for me is that as long as me and my higher power are in it, that life is going to be, it's going to, it's going to be challenging, but I don't have to do it alone. Uh, I think that's the main thing that I've, um, that I've uh, gotten with this whole thing. And, and the other thing is that as long as I can be there for another compulsive old reader, I've really uh, earned my day on this earth because then all the lessons, the privileges, the hardships, whatever it is that I went through, good, bad, and indifferent what coming, when it comes to food, I can pass that on and perhaps give someone else some insight, some encouragement. So my plight wasn't in vain. Um, I think the, um, many times I think about OA as having raised me right. And in raising me right, I was able to, um, you know, be a better parent. I mean, I was a, I, I was a, a parent in OA and I often think, you know, I'm so proud of her. She's, she's, she's doing so well, but a lot of it is what I learned in a way, you know, um, how to listen to people without judgment, how to uh, pray for them when I'm concerned. There's a whole bunch of things that be became natural to me that I could give to her that I would not have been able to give to her had my only experience been what my upbringing was. Um, I am, you know, not so, not so strange, but I, I've had several careers and my last career that I'm currently in is as a substance, substance abuse counselor. And it was no accident because I had, you know, had learned so much about it and wanted to, I mean, I needed work and this seemed like a pretty good avenue to go into once I got the necessary credentials uh, to do it. But um, I, I am really, really grateful that I don't know what's good for me, because uh, if I if I you know I, it makes me more trusting of God. So when I say something like God's will be done, I never really liked it because I really wanted my own will to be done. But now I'm more accepting of the fact that maybe He knows what He's doing. You know, maybe it maybe what He has in mind for me is better than what I have in mind for me, because I never would have put away in my life. Um, I wanted to do it all myself and it's a sign of weakness if I don't. 
those were old um, attitudes that I grew up with. But now I know that anything great can't be done by myself. I need, I need God and I certainly need a fellowship um, because I, I learn from everyone. It's an opportunity for me to express who I am and heal from things. And um, so I'm, I'm where I need to be. Um, and it's, you know, it's still scary. Thank you. Okay. It's still scary to, to go through new challenges, whether they be at work or family or health or, or any other issue. But then I just say, oh my God, I've gotten through all these years and all the things I thought would kill me didn't. And it still all boils down to, can I do it one day at a time? And uh, one of the things that kept me coming back or kept me coming rather, even though I didn't have initial success, uh, was that I would walk into a, a meeting and I would feel the presence of God. I didn't know that's what it was. I knew there was a good feeling, but I didn't know that's what it was. And then I realized that, wow, this is the power. This is the resource. This is what, what happens here. Um, and to take it out is really what we're being asked to do. And I think the big book to me is probably one of the greatest um, books ever written. I'm, I'm grateful for the people that have allowed themselves to be inspired by it. It certainly came from their hardship and that it became the foundation of, of so many 12-step groups um, that people, uh, and I always say the best thing that came out of the 20th century was um, a 12-step group because it allowed people to heal themselves. We didn't need um, psychiatrists or, or special uh, qualities or, or, or anything. We just needed each other. As broken as we may feel we are, we just needed each other. And that to me was such an incredible um, awareness that, um, you know, together we can do what we could never do alone. And so uh, I am grateful. Um, I didn't expect to be a lifer, but there's no place else I'd rather be. This is my home. Uh, I can be myself and feel uh, honored and um, good about it, uh, which is not always an easy thing in life in general. And uh, I appreciate you asking me to speak and uh, I thank you. Thank you, Madge. We will now open the floor for question and answer session. Please type your question into the Q&A function, not the chat. The Q&A moderator will read out questions to the speakers and the speakers will have time for brief answers. Oh, thank you, Penny. Um, and so for my speakers, if you want to answer the question, Penny, you can stay on camera, my love. You can just maybe wave at me to let me know you want to answer this question rather than having all three of you answer every question. Does that make sense? Okay. So the first question, I'm actually gonna ask Madge to answer it first because she's typed a beautiful answer into the chat. And we're gonna open this question up and um, widen it out just a little bit. How do we welcome people who are not like us, whether of a different race, gender, gender identity, et cetera? It's an important question and it is. Madge, would you read what you, or say what you wrote in the answer? Uh, I think what I wrote was, it doesn't even occur to me, uh, of anybody's differences, because all I see is the sameness. And, uh, and I've seen people come in who are, quote, quote, 
different, you know, uh, different race, different uh, gender, not so much gender, but uh, sexuality perhaps. And I don't really, I mean, it, it probably takes a half a second for me to say, oh, and then what comes at me is their spirit, their humanness, their heart. And then I, my heart smiles because I really, um, that's all I see. Um, and I, I don't know any other way to respond to it. And I think the reason that is because there's something spiritually holy in those groups. We all come um, with, with who we are, uh, but what ends up uh, showing up is our heart, our soul, our vulnerability, our hope, things like that that don't have um, too much color and uh, other qualities associated to them. Thank you. And um, Judy or Penny, would you like to add anything to that? Judy, uh, Penny, unmute yourself, my dear. Okay, um, I don't have much to add to what Madge just said. That was beautiful. Just that I, I realized that as an OA group, we have a lot of work to do in, 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 a, in um, reaching out to those communities because that's a sadness for me when I don't see even in, even in areas that are inhabited by, by Hispanic and black folks that they, they not, they're not at meetings. Um, and when one, one or two do come to the meetings, they usually don't return. So what I like is um, I've been to conventions of the meeting. I talked about the vision for you. And um, there's, a, there's a good, good many people, um, non-Caucasian there. And that's such a, it's a blessing to see that. I'll pass. Thank you, Penny. Judy, all set or anything to add? All set, thank you. All right, next question, just bear with me here. Let's see, oh, this might be a short one. Some, I don't even know this one. Someone last night mentioned 10, 10, 20, 20. Do you know what that means? Anybody know what that means? Is that a slogan? I don't think so. That might've been the date, October 10th, 2020. Oh, well. If anybody in the attendees knows the answer to that question, please put it in the chat. Okay, next question. Let's see. Um, I'd uh, one of us, we'd love to hear more about how you keep your program fresh. Who'd like to answer that first? Penny, go right ahead, unmute yourself, my dear. I believe I spoke to that as far as keeping abstinent, um, working with others is, is huge. You know, the, the chapter in the big book, Working With Others, says the joy of watching someone recover. Don't miss it. We know you don't want to miss it. Um, one of the things I didn't say is that it all, the big book also tells me that I have to stay in, in you know, and improve my conscious contact with my higher power. And, and that is, that really, um, keeps my program fresh. Um, I find that one of the other things uh, is in addition to be open-minded, like I wasn't, you know, I was so narrow-minded when I came, even at my age, I'm teachable. I learned something from everybody I speak with, especially from sponsees. It's amazing. And 
working with sponsees and especially um, not necessarily, but newcomers and and um, watching them progress in in a way um, keeps my program really fresh. I'll pass. Thank you, and Judy, my dear. I think with one of the things that has kept my program fresh is when we would travel, when we're allowed to travel. Um, anytime we went on vacation, we went to a meeting and it was so much fun. It just invigorated my program. We went to Ireland and we got to learn about sheep farming just from away people. In Spain, we had people just show up and translate for us. Um, Hawaii, the meeting was the second bench from the end of Waikiki Beach. You know, that's how we found the meeting. It was so exciting. Now we have it on Zoom, but uh, I still remember those days. It really just kickstarted my program again and how interesting that was. And, and the level of speaking that I, I would have never had those conversations with someone on a bus, you know? I was able to ask them things like, how did you end up in Hawaii? Like, what made you retire in Hawaii? Obviously, besides program, it was such a strong connection. We even, you know, got rides and we trusted 100%. If someone's leading an OA meeting in Hawaii, they can give me a ride. So it was just so exciting. And that's, that's one of the things that kept me going. Thank you, Judy. And this question is for all three of you. Um, you've all worked full-time and raised kids while in OA. How do you balance the time commitment with your other responsibilities? And um, when you have to make a decision as to what comes first, is it your commitment to OA, your work, or your kids? Who would like to answer first? Madge, my dear. Wow. Um, yes, I've worked full-time and I've raised uh, my daughter and been in school and did all that good stuff. But I, uh, I turned, I mean, I just, I just feel, God, you know, I need to be at a meeting. So you figure this thing out. And um, there was always somebody there to take care of her or, or whatever the make, case may be. The car breaks down. I, I got a ride or um, sometimes I had people come to the house and we had a meeting. It just always worked out. I mean, it was my priority, but to have a, a full functional life, there are other things that, that are important also. But I've never really uh, had to balance. I took a day at a time. Uh, if I couldn't get to a meeting, uh, I was on a, you know, I would call several people and make a whole bunch of calls. And somehow I was able to get what I need and be there for the other people that needed me, uh, work or family. Thank you, Judy. I think if you have young children, they don't let you talk on the phone, at least in those days. <laughs> they do start pulling it on you. So I noticed that I, I was in program before I had children and while I had children. So the whole schedule changes around phone calls. Um, later on, um, I used you know, the headphone in the car. That's where I called my sponsor as I was commuting to work. And I sponsored on the way home from work with a headphone. You know, I was doing it for so many years. I felt safe doing it. I think having a supportive spouse so that your, your spouse, you tell your spouse, I'm going to a meeting on, at 11.30 on a Sunday and you have to watch the children, make that their special time together. And um, definitely, I say that to myself many times, program comes first. If I have all these wonderful things to do, I'm not saying, you know, my kids and work obviously have to come first, but, you know, if I have all these other wonderful things to do, no matter what, program has to come first because if I'm not abstinent, I can't do all those other things. Great, thank you. And Penny? Um, 
balancing, I talked about that. I think it's, it's really difficult. When I uh, had to get a full-time job, at that point in time, I had a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old, and um, two that were older. And I remember um, talking at an OA meeting saying, you know, I have to do this, I have to do the laundry, I have to do this and that. And um, someone in the meeting said to me, you know, I thought you said you have four children and they're nine and 12 and, and they were the ones that were home most, most of the time. And so um, why aren't they doing anything? And so what I did, because one of the things I did, I was in education and nursing. I put a sign on the refrigerator that, that we were going to have an in-service on how to do laundry on Saturday at two o'clock. And that's just one example. And I was able to delegate because, see, I thought I was the only one that could do anything right. That was one of my character defects. And I found out that that was not true. And because my children saw the change in me very soon, they were the ones that said, Mom, do you think you need a meeting? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to go to a meeting? I'll stay home with Susan. That was like, the, you know, by then, a 15-year-old staying home with her younger sister. And... Um, so um, I got my master's degree during this time, um, working full time and going part time for a master's degree. It, um, you know, putting God first and, and, and family, family next really, really did it for me. Thanks for that question. Thanks, Penny and Matt and Judy. And uh, just an update from the attendees who are so brilliant, they know everything. So that 10-10-2020 was someone's abstinence date. And so that makes me so happy that that person has uh, 22 days now. I can't do math. 24 days. No, 14 days. Oh, good Lord. Yay. Okay, back to questions. So we'll take more questions in the Q&A. Um, I'm not quite sure I understand this question, but let's see if you guys do, because you're a smart panel. Um, I had a a friend who's East Indian friend, she kept asking for help, but saying she didn't want to try OA. So I wonder maybe we could reframe that into, we have friends asking for help, but when we offer OA, they say no. Does anybody have an approach for that? Penny? Yeah, I just wondered if there's, what the reason is. Is it because that person is uncomfortable in the rooms? And I do know that um, a lot of meetings have taken off that are called Ebony OA, mm -hmm. where people of color might feel more comfortable in that, in that surrounding. But without knowing the reason, it's hard to answer. Yeah. And Penny, how do people find Ebony OA meetings? Would they find it on OA.org? Just, I just go to uh, Google OA, OA, Zoom. Ebony. Oh, great. Thank Any you so much. Meetings from all over the world. That's all I do. OA Zoom, East Africa, OA Zoom, Melbourne, Australia. Awesome. Okay, good. Madge, did you want to add to that? Uh, no, I, I, I guess I needed clarification. Uh, uh, she didn't want OA because um, people right. don't look like her. Uh, she didn't like yeah, OA because sure. we're, we're requiring the... It, uh, oh, we have a development. Um, the person okay. who asked the question has asked it at, added another piece of information. This is we're kind of moving into an outside issue. 
So she is of a particular religion and wants that religion to be respected. So I think we're going to ask that person to um, maybe uh, not quite. Kimberly, you got any thoughts here on how to what our next steps are? Can you hear me? Yes. So I, I would just say that we have to do as individuals, as meetings, as intergroups, our best to make all people welcome and understand that when someone feels different when they walk into a room because of gender or gender identity, religion, ethnicity, it is super hard. It can be super hard for them to feel comfortable and that people who look like me can't necessarily understand that. And our responsibility pledge is to extend the hand and heart of OA to all who suffer. And the best thing I think we can do is take someone who is uncomfortable, like in this question with us to a meeting and try to find some really understanding people that's at the individual level, while we as an organization work to welcome more people who don't look like the majority or don't live like the majority. Thanks, Kimberly. And I'll just clarify that I lobbed that question over to Kimberly because Kimberly is our brand new um, vice chair at Region 6. She, she knows stuff. Judy, did you have anything to add to that, my dear? Um. So, so that, that's why this person is not comfortable. I think a lot of organizations are, are grappling with this. I've heard this in another organization. It's very good that we're talking about it and uh, maybe it could be brought up at a higher level of OA. And um, you know, the, the, the comment right now is the language of OA. You know, we, we, we change the language of OA all the time. People change he to she of their reading. People change you know, AA to OA. So there's a way to make yourself feel comfortable just by changing the words as you're reading. That's always been helpful to me. Excellent, thank you. So um, one of our friends in the attendees has raised their hand, which we're not answering little blue hands today, but if you wanna put your question in the Q&A, just type it in and we'll be happy to read it and answer it. So let's see what else we've got in here. Okay. Also, Sandy, um... Yes. The attendees are answering this question in the chat. So if anybody's interested in their input, it's in there. It is indeed. Although, yeah, sometimes people are answering chats just to the panelists. You do have the option of answering chats to all attendees and panelists. So um, if you did that, you might want to repeat your important information to all um, attendees and panelists. So let's see. Who else has a question here, my friend? Um, so who else has a question today that they'd like to ask? Please put it in the chat for us. Um, there actually a follow-up question on this important issue is that um, the person who's asking about uh, the person, she's looking for literature in other languages. And she specifically requests an East Indian language and she speaks Hindi. Is anybody on any anybody, any of us working with the language? I know there is a translation department at World Service. I 
I'm not, this is Kimberly again. I'm not aware of translations into Hindi, but we do have a translation committee out at the World Service Office. And uh, you could send a note to the WSBC uh, or I will uh, see if I can find my vice chair email address and put it in chat. I've been a vice chair for about 15 minutes now, so. <laughs> I'll, I'll get that in chat and we'll see if we can chase it down for you. I know, and you're doing a great job. Isn't she? Look at this convention. Wow. Um, so I'd like to see if we can circle back around to uh, questions that are about program specifically, like the steps and abstinence and tools. Who's got a question? Sandy, may I, may I respond to the, the yes. translation? I just looked it up because I knew... The big book is in 67 different languages. Doesn't list all of them, but I'm sure if I searched a little bit more, I would find that, but 67 as of now. That's awesome, Penny. Thank you so much for that info. Time on this question? Time's I, up on this question. Time's up on the question. Gotcha. Thank you, Wu. Okay. Okay, still looking for questions in Q&A. If you have a question, please type it into the Q&A panel and we'll be happy to get ask it. Sandy, if there are no more questions right now, I, I just uh, something that I, I just wanted to, to say too, as far as being a long time, there are challenges, you know, um, when, when I, I, I think I want to do a 10th step and people have actually said to me, oh, but you know more than I do. You've been around so long. And, and um, that's not true. That's, you know, I, so um, yeah, I, I'd like to go through the steps again. And, and it's, a, it's a hard job to find somebody who, who wants to, um, or who I think, I guess I think wants to take on somebody who's been around so long and you know, it seems to be quoting the big book. I don't do that to, to, um, you know, to impress anybody. It's just that I've been studying it for so long that it's, it's part of my daily speech. <laughs> so there are challenges as well. And um, uh, yeah, that's all. Thanks, Penny. Um, we do have a, good, a great question in the um, Q&A. Do you have a suggestion about how I modify my food plan as I age? Good question. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll answer that, but um, mm -hmm. I can give myself excuses. I have to be very careful with that. You know, do I want to eat more because I'm aging? Um, 
So I just redid my food plan because, you know, with the pandemic, somehow it's easier for me to do that. And like, I'm not tempted when I go to someone's house and they offer me a snack. So I was able to take the snack out of my food plan and I feel better, healthier, and I've lost weight just, just from doing that. And um, a little bit something else is easier, but I have to be careful with, the, with those things, you know, with the age. And I know there's a lot written about it because I can use any excuse to eat, you know, I know they say you should eat less and, you know, with an eat, I, I call this an eating disorder. I, I, I'm not able to uh, distinguish. I just know how many calories my body needs. And there's a formula that I've been taught. It's not in, from OA, but it's from nutritionist. And um, I just figure out for my height, how many calories I should be eating. And I just divide that up healthy three meals a day. But just by cutting out that snack, which is, that's how I lost the weight in the first place. And um, I'm able to do that again. It's such a freedom. Plus it gives me a lot of time you know, I'm not sitting there with a snack for half an hour. That half an hour is like magic for me. I, I get to do another activity for the day. That's my answer. Thank you, Judy. Madge? Um, I hesitate to give any advice because I'm really struggling with it myself. And um, I have uh, gone to nutritionists and gone to doctors. Uh, but I really, I'm still kind of... Um, what I used to do is does need to be modified because it's a whole lot easier to put weight on these days than it was in the past. So um, I think it does have to be adjusted and it's probably more custom to each person. Um, I don't think it's a one size fits all, so. Thank you. And um, the next question um, is, how long did it take you to achieve your abstinence? I'd like to answer that. Madge, my dear. Um, it took me seven years and I don't know. Uh, I cannot tell you what mechanics or math went into it. Uh, if I knew exactly what it was that I needed at what time and how to do it, I would have done it a lot quicker. But I think for me, that's when I was spiritually ready to surrender. And like I said, it came at the end of... Uh, what I would consider a, a, a time of despair for me, like everything really was not working out. And so it became like, well, what am I surrendering? All the crappy stuff, I might as well surrender. I got, the, what is it that I'm, you know, what is it that I'm letting go of? It's, it's not working, uh, whether it be the food or other areas of my life. For me, um, when someone says, you know, when did you get it? Or when did you get your abstinence? I always say, well, it followed my surrender and my surrender followed my stage or a time of despair. And so I always tell people, if you're feeling pretty crappy, yay, because you're, it's a lot more probable that you will say, all right, God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I just, I'm just done. And that's when the power, it's like it rains power after that. So uh, confidence is a wonderful thing, but sometimes it could stand in your way when you are powerless of, of, uh, about certain things. And I am powerless with food. There's no question. God knows I've, uh, you know, I've uh, tried to change that over the years. So for me, it was seven years and the conditions were that I was spiritually ready due to um, surrendering. And again, the surrender came when my life was falling apart, not that it was so wonderful. So what was, what was there to surrender? <laughs> Thanks. 
you're muted, Sandy. Sandy. Oh, now I'm muted. Penny, go ahead, my dear. Yeah, yeah. Um, I smiled when that question came because I could probably say five minutes. Um, <laughs> but with God, because I had that amazing spiritual awakening at that very first meeting that telling me that I had a disease and that it was a spiritual recovery. Um, it's like Bill W. I relate very much to Bill W. In, in Bill's story in the big book where he says I was separated from liquor for the last time after he got the, the spiritual awakening in the hospital. Um, I didn't see a bright light or anything, but it certainly, I, I remember getting in my car to go home after that meeting and I felt like I was a brand new person. And um, I've had ups and downs, you know, in, in some temptations in the past, but today in very soon after that, it's not just the abstinence that, that I am so grateful for. It's the fact that I am so neutral about food. There's things in my refrigerator that I always, my ice cream, my biggest binge food, it's in my refrigerator for over 33 years because my grandchildren now come. And, and the kids across the street, they know if they come and bring me flowers or something, they're going to get Italian ice or something like that. It's like, it's not even there for me. And that's the gift. That's a miracle that that food does not, does not, it could, I mean, it, it could be, it could be flowers in there and it, and it wouldn't, um, but it's all about, again, staying in, in fit spiritual condition. And it started at that very first meeting. Thank God for all those people uh, who were there and, and ministered to me. I'll pass. Thanks, Penny. You want me to Judy? I, I'm also one of those people that it was three days for me when I remember three days. But at that first meeting, I was struck. I was absolutely struck. I remember going there with, with a clipboard to take notes. I was taking a nutrition course in NYU. And on their list was, you know, go check out all these organizations. And I picked away. Can you imagine? And I go there with a clipboard. And I look at the people <laughs> I'm listening. That clipboard went under my chair very quickly. And I mean, I, at the three days, I, I, I saw the spirituality, you know, I saw, I had spirituality as a, you know, in my early childhood and then lost it completely. And I saw it there again. And it was just beautiful. I loved the steps right away. I, I knew they were healthy. I think that's what it was. I just knew the fourth step was such a healthy, healthy thing to do that I, I just stayed. And, um, you know, once you get that involved and you get someone to call, I couldn't handle having a sponsor, but I would call people that helped with my food. I called in the middle of the night if I wanted to eat. So right away, I got so much help. Thanks. All right, I love this next question. So I'm gonna ask it. At what point did you come to think of yourself as a long timer? <laughs> Madge. It's, uh, I gotta do the math. I've been around for forever. What can I say? You know, it's, it's not a matter of opinion. 40 years is friggin' long. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> there's nothing much to say. You have to be objective, you know. Um, always been around since 1960. I've been here since 1974. So I guess I am. <laughs> yes, indeed. Penny? Yeah, um, I immediately thought about when I, when I go to face-to-face -face meetings or even when I get on a gallery view, 
and I realize I'm probably the oldest one in the room. <laughs> but I do love long time, we're not old timer. And, um, and, and, and it's, I'm proud, I'm really proud uh, of that in a nice way. Um, and, um, and I, you know, and, and I can be, I know that I can be an example of hope to other people. Um, thank you, God. Thanks, Penny. Okay, let's see. I think we have time. Will tell me if we have time for one more question or we need to wrap up. One more? Yes. Okay, thank you. All right. Um, I'm going to go with this one. I'm going to just shorten it up a little bit. I hate having anyone tell me what to do or, or who feels they know better than me. Um, what is your relationship to your sponsor? How often do you speak to each other? Somebody struggling with sponsorship. I mean, I, I, I just want to recommend, you know, I didn't have a sponsor for the first year and a half of program because I had so many authority issues and I don't care what anybody said. I said, I, I, I just worked the other steps really hard. You know, people say you can't be in this program without a sponsor. And I said, that's ridiculous. You know, if you have authority issues, just work it out. I, I worked out my authority issues and I'm able to have a sponsor now. I have, you know, I'm in a long time. So 15 years, the same woman that was not going to happen in the first year or two. I, I, anything a sponsor said to me, I rebelled against because it was like, you know, my father telling me to do something ridiculous. So it's, everything is a suggestion that your sponsor says, and you know, the take what you like and leave the rest. I use that forever. I don't abuse that. You know, I'm not going to do something crazy, but I definitely, if there's something that bugs me, you know, I just won't do it right now. And that helps. Thanks, Judy. Okay. Um, we're just about out of time. So I'm going to say thank you so much to everybody on the panel today. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to ask our three speakers to unmute themselves and anybody else on the panel to unmute themselves and join us as we close with the serenity prayer. God, God. grant us the serenity, serenity to accept the things that we cannot change. The courage to change, change the things, things we can, yeah. and, and the wisdom to know, to know the, difference. the difference. I will not mind it. Thank you all for a fabulous job.